Do you need deliverance today from something? Maybe it's a temptation. Maybe it's a vice. Maybe it's materialism or just self-centeredness. Maybe it's uh, pride. Maybe it's uh, insecurity. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's depression. God's here to deliver us. Maybe you have an enemy today. Maybe you have an adversary. Maybe you have a tormentor. Maybe you have somebody that's given you a hard time. Jeremiah 1.8 says, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we have covered the first two chapters of this tremendous book. And do you remember what we covered? If I called on you right now, could you say, okay, we've been talking about this, Pastor. Well, we've been talking about the second coming of Christ. And the reason for that is some false prophets had come into Thessalonica after Paul had taught them right, and they had messed him up and taught them wrong. And so these folks were panicking. They thought, we missed the rapture. We've been left behind. Wouldn't that be a horrible feeling? You ever been left behind? And so Paul has to write this epistle saying, no, 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 Christ has not come yet. And, and he spends two chapters straightening out a mess, but now he's going to flip a switch. And it's time for an exhortation. It's, it's time for an admonition here. And we pick it up in 2 Thessalonians 3, beginning in verse number 1. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith, but the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. As I look at this passage, I I see one truth that I'd like to drive home today, and that is deliverance, or what I would call divine deliverance. And we'll take a look at that, but let's pray first, shall we? Father, we thank you now for the opportunity to be in your house. We pray that you'd bless your word as it's open. And Father, I just pray now that it would bring glory and honor unto the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and ask it. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've ever fallen from a ladder, but I know somebody who Uh, fell off a a three-story building and was fine. And I know somebody who's fallen off a 16-foot extension ladder, and it was fatal. What is the furthest that anyone's ever fallen and lived? That's a good question. Years ago, there was a Russian lieutenant that fell four miles from an airplane without a parachute. It didn't go off. And he actually landed on the edge of a ravine with a glancing blow, as it were, and kept sliding through the snow until he he came to an abrupt stop. He lived. He got banged up pretty badly, but he healed and he returned to duty. But what's more amazing than that was an American, actually, in 1944 during World War II. It was a a sergeant by the name of Elkmaid, and he was flying a mission over Germany, and uh, he got hit, and his plane caught fire, and he was going to either burn to death or or crash, and 
and die that way or jump. Well, he jumped. He thought that would be the the least way to die. And he fell three and a half miles, if you can imagine that. And he landed in a a fir tree and he he hit the top branches and just kept busting them off as he went down. And they kept slowing them down and cushioning the blow a little bit until he landed in two feet of snow. And he got up and he walked away. (laughs) Can you imagine falling three and a half miles and walking away from it? That's That's got to be a time when you say, God delivered me, you know? That is something that God apparently wanted. Well, the word deliverance is found hundreds of times in the Bible. Deliver, deliverance. I was shocked. I had no idea. But we find here Paul's going to address this subject of divine deliverance. He's gotten done straightening out some things that were crooked here. And and now he's going to give an, an exhortation to some people that he had led to Christ some people he loved dearly in the Lord, folks like you in a local church like this. And so he's writing them this epistle, and he's going to give them now this exhortation. We find here, first of all, what I call he gives to them the uninhibited word, the uninhibited word. And he's talking here about the Bible going forward uninhibited and and unbridled and being distributed and being dispersed free course. Notice in verse number one, he says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. I want you to notice, first of all, the word finally. He says, finally, brethren. Now, deliverance is in the Bible hundreds of times. The word finally is only found in the Bible six times. And did you know that five of those six times, it was Paul using it? He's closing out an epistle, and, and he says, finally, brethren. For example, in 2 Corinthians thirteen eleven, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And he's wrapping up his epistle to the church at Corinth there. He says in another place to the church at Ephesus, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And so he gives him in the last chapter of Ephesians that finally, a famous finally from the Apostle Paul. And then to the church at Philippi, in Philippians 3 1, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Finally, my brethren, as he starts out this chapter. But he goes through that whole chapter and he goes into another chapter and he goes through 40 or 50 verses and he keeps on going. And you say, Well, he said finally, I know. But what does it mean? When a Baptist preacher says, finally, doesn't mean a thing, (laughs) doesn't mean a thing. And so now we we hear him say, finally, in verse 1, finally, brethren, he says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. He's making some concluding remarks here. He has been kind of uh, straightening them out, and he's been correcting some things that were in error, and now he's going to give to them a, a practical admonition, a, a practical exhortation, and, and really, that's a good way to wind up a letter or a message. Uh, there's a fellow in the church, and he normally sits over here, my Norwegian friend, I see him over there, and we were talking years ago, and he said, you know, Pastor, I don't know if you've noticed this, but you always present an issue when you preach, but at the very end, you present a solution, and that's what we really ought to do. You know, there was a, uh, a man who was uh, going through a, an art museum, he was a chess master, and there was a painting in that 
that museum of this chess game taking place, fictitiously, of course, between the devil and a young man. And, and the devil had in the picture uh, the young man checked and, and was ready. It was for his soul. And this, this young man is sweating in the picture and so on. And uh, nobody had found any solution for that. And this chess master was going through that museum. And he stared at it for the longest time. And he went, wait a minute, young man, move your rook there. You know, some move that would have gotten him out of check and actually reversed it. And he could have checkmated the devil. You know, there are paintings, and they say that if you paint a picture, and it's a busy picture, it's, it's woods or it's whatever, you always have to leave a way out. And here we find the Apostle Paul. He's been kind of scolding. He's been kind of correcting. But now he's going to do some exhorting here. He's got a solution. He wants to give them some hope. But he says, first of all, in verse 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. We never get to the place in our Christian life to where we don't need prayer, do we? We never reach a degree of holiness to where we say, I'm not tempted anymore. You can call off your prayers. I don't need any more. No, we never arrived there. Paul felt his need for prayer. We ought to all feel our need for prayer, shouldn't we? Paul, the great apostle, said, finally, brother, pray for us. There's something about prayer. Prayer goes all over the world. If you think about it, you can be in a village in Africa or you can be in a hut in the jungle of Brazil through prayer. You can be alongside a a suffering saint and helping him through prayer. And you can be binding the folly of some scoundrel through prayer. Prayer is that powerful. Paul says, finally, brethren, pray for us. Prayer links us with the throne of the universe. Think about that. You have audience with God himself. You connect to God. Prayer is a force as real as gravity. Prayer is a force as real as electricity. Prayer is a force as real as as magnetism. And so Paul says, pray for us. The us there being him and Silas probably and Timotheus, he mentioned them at the beginning. He said, pray for us. You know, the best thing that you could do for a spiritual leader, and Paul and these others were spiritual leaders, the best thing you could do for them is pray for them. They have a bullseye on them. And the devil has them marked for destruction. And the devil knows that if he can take the spiritual leader down, he can often take the followers down with him. And Paul knows that. And so Paul says, pray for us, these folks in the ministry. There's a lot riding on what we're doing. Pray for us. Pray for leaders in the spiritual battle of the ministry. I was over in Southeast Asia here several weeks ago. And I was talking to a missionary over there. And he's been there 14 years. And he said, you know, preacher... I'm the only one that I know who's still here that came here 14 years ago. That surprised me. He said, I've seen other missionaries come and go, but he's kind of the, the last of the Mohicans there. And, and uh, as a spiritual leader, it can get very discouraging, and he expressed that. So pray for those in ministry. It can be a blessing, but it can be a, a, a marathon of misery as well. And we have some aspiring Bible college students here, a number of you, sitting here today, and it might look glamorous to you, and and you can be important, but I'm here to tell you, you're going to be in the trenches, and you're going to be in the battle. I'll never forget when God was calling me into the ministry. And I talked to my pastor, and, and I said, you know, how do I know? He said, brother, if you can do anything else, do it. I've never forgotten those words. That wasn't real encouraging, and he didn't mean it that way. What he meant is, if you're able to do anything else, you're not called. And, and, and I've never forgotten those words. There's a missionary 
that we have supported for years, Dr. Milton Martin. He has labored in the jungles of Mexico for decades. He asked me one time years ago to guess his age. I, I didn't want to gamble, so I guessed it real low, uh, or real, yeah, real low, and actually I still guessed him uh, way higher. He was actually not even as old as I guessed him, but he said, that's the ministry down there. And, and I thought to myself, imagine what the Apostle Paul looked like. Can you imagine all that he went through and the battles and the trenches and the attacks? And he admits he needs prayer. He gets specific, though. He, he says in verse 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. In other words, so that the gospel will spread rapidly. Did it? Huh, did it ever in the first century? You know, how did that work so well in the first century? Here's what I think. You know, Christ could have preached to the thousands, and he did. They followed him around. But he was always focusing on those dozen men. And he knew if he made an investment in them, that they could turn around and in turn do something great for God. And they did. After Jesus was back up to heaven, in Acts 17, it said, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Boy, it's powerful. If we just focus on a few, and then they go focus on a few, and they go focus on a few, it will turn the world upside down. And so the word of God had free course in that first century. And it all ties together because in verse 1, notice it says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. You know why we're here? We're here to glorify Christ. The Bible says, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of Christ. We are here to glorify Christ, if you think about it. Now, that church at Thessalonica was being persecuted. I mean, Paul got run out of town, and they thought they were going through the tribulation period because it, it was really bad. But they were growing as a result because that's what persecution does. You know that in the days of the Roman Colosseum, when they would put a, a fella to death down there in the middle and feed him to the lions, there would be two that would spring up and say, you know what, I want something worth dying for. I'm sick of my, my, my life and, and, and purposeless life. I want something worth dying for. And it's persecution that has always fanned the flames of growth. Here in America, what do we know? Affluence. And what does that produce? Apathy. And, and, and honestly, I'm not praying for it, but I'm telling you, if it gets rough, it might not be a bad thing. Because it was that, that very thing, the persecution there at Thessalonica, that caused that thing to grow. And the gospel had free course, and Christ was glorified through that. And so we see this uninhibited word. It, it was like the, the gospel, the seed, as Christ called it, was getting out there. And folks, we don't want to keep the seed in the barn, do we? This is the barn, so to speak. Let's get the seed out of the barn. Let's take it to the streets. Let's reach out to those we work with and live by and share our faith with them. And may that word be uninhibited there. Truth was never meant to be kept within these four walls. May I say that again? You're hearing truth today from the word of God. It was never meant to stay within these four walls. The reason we come to church is not to see our buddies. 
We don't have raffles here and bingos and bazaars. And, and it's more than just getting baptized and having funerals and doing weddings. The reason we are here is to learn the truths of God's word so that we can take them to the streets. And, 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 and may the word of God have free course. May it not be inhibited. I went to church for over 20 years and really didn't know why I was there. But we have a reason for being here today. And church is not a spectator sport is it? We're here to learn something, to use it for God's glory. So we see here, first of all, the uninhibited word, but secondly, we see the unreasonable wickedness mentioned in verse number two. Paul says in that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Paul here is talking about what I call irrational opposition. It just doesn't make any sense. Here's this opposition from unreasonable and wicked men. Why is it that the gospel is so irritating to people? It's offensive to people. I was thinking of uh, my mother yesterday. She was 100% Irish. And she had something that she would do every morning. There were nine kids in our family and six boys and, and four of us to a room. And and. Every day before school, she'd come down, she'd flip on the light switch, and she'd say, rise and shine, and we'd go, oh, shrivel, shrivel, shrink, shrink, and we hated that. We hated that. There's something about that light. It's irritating, isn't it, when it, when it shines into the darkness. And it, as a Christian, if your light is shining, you're going to irritate some people. You're going to step on some toes. I'm not talking about being abrasive or obnoxious. We don't want to be that. You know, the gospel offends, but we don't need to be offensive in giving it to people. And yet, at best, if you are a witness the way you should be, you're going you're gonna to irritate some people. Look carefully at this again in verse 2. Paul says, And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Now, he had been talking about the gospel having free course. Remember that? Let's get that, that word out uninhibited. May the gospel have free course. And it was. They were turning the world upside down. Guess who's going to get upset about that? The devil's not going to take that lying down. So he's, he's talking about here getting the gospel out, but that's when the devil shows up. That's when you get opposition here, human opposition. He mentions in verse 2, he says, unreasonable and wicked men. You know, Paul had a lot of opposition. He had a lot of adversaries. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, he said, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. He said, There's a fantastic opportunity here. He said, Oh, but there's a lot of opposition. There are many adversaries. The devil shows up. And by the way, never forget this. You might get human opposition, but there's someone working behind the scenes. And we're told in Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Never forget that. You and I see the, the human opposition, but there's something behind it. I was talking to Dr. Larry Clayton years ago, and, and he was speaking of a certain situation. And, and he was going along trying to explain it, and he, he stopped and he said, it, honestly, it's just so demonic. Now, I'm not saying there's a demon under every rock and, and getting you to focus on the devil. Don't do that. 
Don't give him that attention. He would love that. But I'm telling you, there are a number of things, and, and they are just so demonic. I was talking to a preacher from the D.C. area here about a week or two ago, and he was describing a situation, and he stopped, and he said, you know what? It's just demonic. And let me read the verse to you again. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is a devil, folks. He is real. And he does not want the word of God to have free course. You can expect some unreasonable wickedness. 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Paul says, Wherefore I, or we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. But Satan hindered us. Paul said, I tried to get there, but the devil opposed me. Do you ever feel that opposition? Maybe all week long. I'm telling you, get in the ministry and you feel like you're, you're walking against a, a 50 mile an hour wind all the time. There is just that demonic oppression. And in Thessalonica here, uh, Paul had been run out of town. And uh, we find that as a result, there was an uprising before it took place. It's described in Acts 17.5. says, but the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar. That's what happened at Thessalonica. That is why Paul got run out of town. And I wonder who was behind that. These unreasonable and wicked men who did not have faith. The devil was behind it, but the devil works through people. Do you currently have anyone opposing you? Think it not strange, the Bible says. Well, what's going on here? This shouldn't be going on. I'm a child of God. I, I should have a, a, this, this road of velvet here. No. Not, not, not at all. There's going to always be unreasonable and wicked opposition. Now, notice in verse number two, that word. He says, unreasonable, unreasonable. What's that mean? In the Greek, it means they're out to get you. <laughs> Pretty simply, there are always going to be some out there who are out to get you. It mentions unreasonable and wicked men. You know, the world would be a great place if it weren't for unreasonable people. Do you know any unreasonable people? You're all smiling. I think we all know some unreasonable people. You just cannot reason with them. And the word here actually means irrational. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Why do they have to be like that? It doesn't make any sense. You know that sin doesn't make any sense. If you stop and think about it, and he mentions wickedness here, sin doesn't make sense. To a thinking, rational, sane person. Why someone would put a tourniquet on their arm and, and pump a foreign substance into their body, drugs, to get a high, to escape reality, if you're a Christian, makes no sense. Life's not that bad. I don't need to take alcohol, pay money for it, drink it, have it kill brain cells, have it perforate arteries, wind up sick the next morning, and I paid for that thing. That doesn't make any sense to me, does it? But if you don't know the Lord, maybe you do want an escape. I don't know. Uh, you know, if you think about it here, there are so many things, including false religion, that don't make sense. There's so much unreasonable religion out there. And you, and you hear some doctrine of some of these denominations and some of these cults around the world, and you go, seriously? Huh? That doesn't make any sense. And you've got folks who would defend that stuff to the death. 
There are governments across this world that are controlled by the state religion and Christians are being persecuted in those places and, and, and those religions couldn't be more off, totally unreasonable. And Paul here mentions getting opposition like that. He said, pray for us that the word of God would have free course and that we'd, we'd have deliverance from these unreasonable and wicked men. That word wicked is strong, by the way. We don't just throw that around. But Paul mentions wickedness there, and I don't know who he's referring to exactly. Maybe it's those false prophets that blew into Thessalonica and messed up the people there, or maybe it was the Jews that kept giving them a hard time. But he says something else in verse 2. He says, for all men have not faith. Now, that is so simplistic. You go, duh. But, but think about it. All men have not faith. That's so obvious, isn't it? I remember talking to a, a friend of mine. He's, he's a Christian. He's a horticulturist, and he's my tree buddy. And whenever I have questions about trees, I call him. And, and I was saying, what about this tree? He said, well, be sure you plant them this far apart. And I said, well, that's kind of far apart. And he said, those things grow, you know. And we both laughed, and I thought, well, yeah, duh. We find Paul says, all men have not faith. Duh. <laughs> but we don't realize that sometimes, do we? It is so obvious, but we, we live in a world of faithless people. All men have not faith. That's the reason there's humanism. That's the reason you have people that believe man's his, his own God and he poo-poos the Bible. And uh, we're going to fix the world's problems. Humanism. By the way, how's that thing going? How's that working out? You getting those problems fixed? Man is never going to lift himself up by his bootstraps and fix this world's problem. It's really not even reasonable. And, and all men have not faith. By the way, the Antichrist is the closest that the world's going to ever get to fixing the world's problems. They're going to say peace and safety, and then the thing's just going to blow up. Humanism. We find in verse number 2, he says at the end, For all men have not faith. Not only humanism, but evolution. Uh, people actually believe that somehow there was an amoeba in a slime pond years ago that crawled out and sprouted two eyes and poked out a couple of ears and a nose and a mouth and, and uh, then whoop, got a torso and, and, and some limbs. But he was starving to death because he couldn't feed himself. So he got an elbow just in the perfect place. Ah, oh, that's better. And, and knees so he could go up and down steps. And all this just happened to evolve perfectly. Are you kidding me? That's unreasonable. But all men have not faith. I was out of town a while back, and I was watching something on public television about evolution. And it started out billions and billions and billions of years ago, right? Like that would make it happen. And it, it, it showed water. Well, where'd the water come from? And then it, it said, and slime formed on a rock. And I'm going, okay, I know where this is going. We came from that slime. And then the slime turned to like cattail things, and they had pictures of them. And I'm going, who was there? you know, billions of years ago. How'd they get this picture, you know? And, and somehow, we're going to come from that cattail, you know, somehow get into a tadpole and into an ape. And you, you honestly, serious? Come on. All men have not faith. And it's so obvious here. It's, it's the result of no faith. And it's like, you got to be kidding me. Seriously here. Well, in, in verse 2, Paul says, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. We're talking here about divine deliverance. 
Paul says that we might be delivered from that. And the Greek word there means rescued, rescued. Paul talked an awful lot about deliverance. You find him in his his final epistle, 2 Timothy 3, speaking of persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all, the Lord delivered me. That's divine deliverance. The Lord delivered me. He said in that same epistle, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. You know, Acts never records that situation, but apparently Paul had a close call like Daniel. God delivered him out of the mouth of the lion. And so we see here in divine deliverance, we see the uninhibited word. We see, secondly, unreasonable wickedness. And finally, brethren, just seeing if you're listening. (laughs) Finally, brethren, we see the ultimate weapon. The ultimate weapon. That's God's help. Look in, in verse number three. He says, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. He's speaking there of deliverance. Back in the days when names like Hitler and, and uh, Himmler and Goering and others were just terrorizing the hearts of Europe and the world, there was a, a little man, Dr. Kirsten, who, while the Nazi uh, mad dogs were putting not only Jews to death, but, but people all over Europe to death, there was a, a, a little doctor, Dr. Kirsten, who took it upon himself to rescue as many people as he could. Somehow he became the personal physician to Himmler the second man in Germany there. And, and week by week, this, this little doctor snatched out these people from the ghettos and the death chambers and, and, uh, and certain extinction. The Jewish council, after the war was over, figured out he rescued somewhere around 60,000 Jews, but also people from various countries throughout Europe. This, this, this quiet little man changed the course, really, of history. He delivered so many here. We're talking about deliverance here. And we find now that Paul, he he switches from us to you. He's been saying, pray for us and us this and us that. But now in verse number three, he says, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And he's reminding the faithful flock of God there at Thessalonica that God indeed does deliver. God never goes back on a promise, folks. In fact, we find this tremendous verse in Hebrews 13, 5. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. God never leaves us, nor forsakes us. He never goes back on a promise. And in verse number 3, it says, the Lord is faithful. Is God faithful? Do we have a faithful God? We read over in Deuteronomy 7, 9. The Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God. God. We have a wonderful, faithful God. We read in Lamentations 3.23 of God, great is thy faithfulness. Great is God's faithfulness. He is faithful to deliver us. Notice these words in verse 3 again. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you, keep you. It's the same Greek word as save you from or deliver you from evil. We have a God who will keep us, who will deliver us, who will save us from evil. And we read in Psalm 23, 4, a familiar and a beloved verse. Yea, 
Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. We don't have to fear life. God is with us. He will deliver us. We sing that song. He is able to deliver thee. And and a true Christian has been delivered. I emphasize true there because there are some in name only that call themselves Christian, but a true Christian has been delivered. We have been delivered from lies unto truth. We have been delivered from error unto truth. We read in Colossians 1 and verse 13 of God that he hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his son. It's talking about salvation here. Being born again, have you been delivered? Can you point to a time in your life when you realize you were a lost, hell-bound, hell-deserving sinner and that sin is serious? You say, well, I've always been a Christian. There's no such thing. Well, I am slowly becoming a Christian. There's no such thing. It's not some osmosis thing. It is a spiritual birth. And you'll remember when it happened, if it's happened. You were delivered. Delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Deliverance from lies to truth. Deliverance from fear of the unknown to anticipation. It's not unknown anymore what's on the other side for me. It's anticipation. I am looking forward to that. We find this passage in Hebrews 2. It mentions through death that is on the cross, he, Jesus, might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and there's our word, deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. It mentions that Christ destroyed the power of death and as a result delivered them that had that fear of death, that bondage there all their life. I remember talking to my dad after he'd gotten saved and and we were talking about what it was like before salvation and, and he had had some close calls there and almost choked to death one time, had heart issues another time and, 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 and admitted he was not ready to die. He was afraid of it, but he had gotten saved and it wasn't that long before he died. And I remember him saying, and he said it so innocently and so sincerely, he said, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die. You don't have to be. You can be delivered from that. You know, the word deliver or deliverance, it's, I said a moment ago, it's found hundreds of times in the Bible. Look it up in the Strong's Concordance. It really surprised me. But it normally is accompanied with delivered out of, delivered out of, delivered out of something. We find the little, little young man, I should say, David, about to go out and face this giant of a fella, Goliath, But he says to his king, he said, The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Did he? He sure did. God delivered him. Later on in life, David the psalmist says this in Psalm 18, 17. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. And truly, Goliath was. David was no match for him. Oh, but God balanced the odds, and God delivered him. Do you need deliverance today from something? Maybe it's a temptation. Maybe it's a vice. Maybe it's materialism or just self-centeredness. Maybe it's uh, pride. Maybe it's uh, insecurity. Maybe it's 
Fear, boy, people have a lot of fears. Maybe it's depression. You know, at the end of David's life, he made this statement in 2 Samuel 22, 2. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Here he is in his old age. Maybe you're here today and I see some gray hair around here and, and uh, you're kind of going into the autumn of your life and there are maybe some different issues that you deal with. Maybe it's loneliness or a number of people that, that struggle with that. Here's a verse for you. In Isaiah 46, 4, the prophet says, God says, and even to your old age, I am he. And even to your whore hairs, gray hairs, will I carry you. I have made and I will bear, even I will carry and will deliver you. God's here to deliver us. Maybe you have an enemy today. Maybe you have an adversary. Maybe you have a tormentor. Maybe you have somebody that's given you a hard time. Jeremiah 1.8 says, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. You know, the Apostle Paul had a ton of opposition. He had a ton of enemies. He was always under attack. He had numerous close calls. But you know what he said? In 2 Corinthians 1.10, speaking of the Lord, he said, Who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Past, present, future. Paul understood something about Deliverance. It all started for him on the Damascus Road, by the way. Paul was delivered from a false religion at that time to the truth. He was delivered from sin to virtue. He was delivered from fear and paranoia to joy. He was delivered from wrath to blessing, from Satan to God. Had, have you had a time in salvation when you were delivered. I was just talking to someone earlier, and, and they knew the date, my date. Uh, you might not know the date, but for me, I, I know it was 37 years ago when God delivered me from the love of the world and the love of sin and the wrong things to the love of the Lord and the love of church and the love of godly things. And I'm telling you, what a deliverance. And there have been many times since there has been a deliverance. And it's enough to make you stand in amazement and awe and wonder when God delivers us from something. There was a missionary years ago in uh, the New Hebride Islands of the South Pacific. His name was John Patton. And he went there back in the late 1800s, and I'm telling you, it was primitive. There was aboriginals there and cannibals there and hostile natives. Him and his wife had a little hut in the middle of the jungle. And one night, he could hear the spearsmen gathering around their hut there. They had planned to set the hut on fire, as they had done to other missionaries, to smoke them out and to kill them. And so John Patton and his wife went to, to praying and praying. And they prayed for hours, and they begged God for help and deliverance. And in the morning light, none of the hostile natives were still there. They thought, thank you, Lord. It wasn't until exactly a year later when they led the chief of that tribe to a saving knowledge of Christ. And as they were mentoring him, John Patton got interested. He said, you know, that night you guys had us surrounded and were going to kill us. Why didn't you? He said, well, who were those men guarding you there? John Patton had no idea what he was talking about. He said, there were men in shining garments with spears drawn all around your hut, and there's no way we're going to take them on. We left. You know, was it angels? We can speculate. But I'm simply saying the Lord is faithful. 
to deliver us, that we are on the winning side. I'm not saying we're exempt from evil. We're not exempt from having problems. But even in death, if it is his will for us to go, what a way to go. We're delivered up into heaven. You can't scare me with heaven. Amen. One more verse. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that which you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. That spells deliverance, folks, doesn't it? Divine deliverance. Thank God for it. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.